0: It is my joy this morning to, uh, to be able to fill in for Pastor Doug, who took a week of vacation this past week, and he'll be back in the office this coming week. But it's always uh, a joy to be able to bring God's Word to you, uh, my dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to take a minute here real quick just to say thank you to all of you for praying for the uh, student uh, ministry missions team that had went down to Washington, D.C. over June 24th to the 30th, and I won't steal uh, their thunder because they're going to be sharing a report in October uh, at the missions conference, but but it was just a, a crazy, amazing week uh, to watch God work, and, and it was such a uh, for me as a pastor, it's such a deep joy to be able to watch students go and minister. And they were sharing the gospel and listening to people's stories and investing in others and, and willing to get out of their comfort zone. And so just thank you so much for praying for us, for safety, and uh, for the opportunities to speak truth and balance it with grace. Uh, thankful for Rachel Spots' willingness to go down with me as our lady leader. And we all came home in one piece. So uh, the joke was I didn't hit any people. Um, with the van, which is good. I did hit a few curbs. Uh, Washington DC's traffic is ridiculous and I, I was so happy to, to get out of there. Um, the, you know, the, On the way home I was sharing with Rachel, I said the exits in Pennsylvania are so much more relaxing because you hit your exit and you've got like a half mile so you need to make a choice of which way you're going. In Washington you've got about 20 feet and you better know which way you're going and the GPS isn't fast enough to keep up with you it seems so after a lot of wrong turns, we, we got to where we need to be, but I, I do want to thank you for your prayers. I want to thank you for your financial support. Um, right before the congregational meeting on the 24th, we had all but 50 dollars of, of our, our needs raised, and at the end of the meeting, someone came up to me and handed me 50 dollars, and uh, like, "Wow, God is awesome." So thank you so much um, for praying for us, and I believe it was a, just a, an awesome investment in the lives of our students. And, I know for Rachel and I, we were challenged greatly as, as well. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's go to our author and perfecter of our faith before we dive into his word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is such a humbling privilege to come before you. As the angels cry out, you alone are holy, holy, holy. Father, it is amazing to read your scripture and to recognize who you are, to recognize your character, to recognize your holiness, your power, your greatness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your long-suffering. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross on our behalf, that by grace through faith we may be saved, that we can put our trust in you. And as Paul writes, and I'm so often deeply impressed by this verse, that you ransomed us out of the kingdom of darkness. You rescued us out and brought us into the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom, as Paul says, we have redemption of our sins. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for the great rescue. Father, that as we trust in you, we are now sons and daughters of the King of kings. We have an adoption that goes beyond anything we can imagine. And one day, we know you will return and take us home, and we look forward to that greatly. Thank you for the hope that we have, for the peace, for the purpose. And Lord, I I pray that we would be on mission as we stand on this side of heaven. Lord, that we wouldn't miss the great commission that you've laid upon our lives, that we would therefore go and make disciples, that we would be about sharing the truth and balancing it in grace as our vision statement clearly defines as we reflect our God-given light. Help us to be a light in this darkness, help us to be a light in this world, to shine brightly for you, that when people see us, they see you. And that they would ask, where is your hope found? And we'd be able to share that it's in your Son. So Father, thank you for this local body. Thank you for the dear privilege of being able to share your word with them. It is a a great joy uh, to be able to to teach and preach and, and serve here at Grace Community. And we want to thank you for our lead pastor. Thank you for the time that he had this week to get away, to get refreshed and renewed. And Father, thank you for him and his family, for the example that they are to each one of us, and for the joy that I have to serve closely beside him. Lord, I just pray that you'd bless them greatly. Lord, I pray that as we open your word this morning, you would take it and and just capture our hearts with who you are that you would help us to understand it through the, the power of your spirit, that you would help us to to live it out, Lord. I pray that your people wouldn't hear me, but they would hear you this morning, that the word of God would speak. So, Lord, thank you for giving us this love letter, that we can read about who you are and all that you've done for us. And, Father, I pray that we would take it and have, as Jesus often said, that we would have ears to hear and that we would be willing to be obedient to whatever you might lay upon our lives this morning, whether it is conviction, whether it is a challenge, whether it is an area in our lives that we need to grow. Lord, help us to step out in obedience and and live lives that would be honoring of your name, to live lives that would, as Paul writes to Titus, adorn the doctrine of our Lord and Savior. So, Father, thank you uh, for this time. We ask that you'd be honored through it, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to pick it back up in verse 14. The last time I preached from here was back in November, adoring <laughs> Pastor Doug's uh, second hip surgery recovery. And we looked at verse 14 specifically, but this morning I'd like to kind of finish that up and walk through verse 15 and 16. So let me just give you a quick recap since November is uh, over half a year away already. And, and by the way, for those of you who love Christmas, we're We're uh, closer to Christmas than what we were um, a few days ago. So anyways, uh, it's coming quickly. The end of the year is coming quickly, which is great. But uh, Philippians 2.14, Paul says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And it's important that we understand those two terms because in your translation, it it might say something like complaining and disputing or grumbling and arguing. But in, in the Greek, really, the idea of grumbling is this idea of mumbling or muttering or murmuring or groaning. And it comes from annoyance. It comes from anger. This is a sinful response, not a healthy response. Make sure you catch that, because we're going to look at the healthy response in a few minutes. Grumbling is this idea of whining and complaining, which then leads to, oftentimes, disputing. The idea of arguing about what we believe should be or what we think should be correct or right. In all, um, in all clearness, grumbling and disputing, whether directly or indirectly, is an accusation against God. When we complain and whine, it is an accusation against God, saying, God, if you were really loving and if you were really sufficient and if you were really faithful, then you would run this universe more effectively. You would be more competent and line up with the way that we think it should be. And so, grumbling and disputing is really a theological issue—a lack of trust in God, a, a a sin of of pride. And Paul is saying, do all things without grumbling, or disputing. And we had traced this through uh, the lives of the Israelites, because in First Corinthians chapter ten and verse six through ten, it says. Uh, follow, don't follow their example. They are an example to us of how not to live, and we shouldn't grumble as they've grumbled in the wilderness. And we looked at the book of Exodus where they come out of Egypt and they literally complain the whole way to the promised land, it seems. They, they complain about having to come out of Egypt. They complain about uh, not having the right food. They complain about not having water when it's needed. They complain about the way God provides for them, and it leads to disputes, and eventually it leads to division. In fact, it leads up to Numbers chapter 14 where the 12 spies enter into the Promised Land. They come back. Ten of the 12 say, there's no way we can take this Promised Land. This is just impossible. There's giants in the land. Uh, and they, they completely ignore the fact that God has promised this for them and will provide the means to accomplish it. But the 10 of them lead the whole nation astray, and they begin to complain against Moses and Aaron and Joshua. And they say, let's find a new leader who's going to take us back to Egypt. They, they for some reason, totally forgot that in Egypt... They were forced into slavery, they lost their sons to death, the Egyptians killed their children, but yet they wanted to go back. It was grumbling and disputing and division. And so that's the negative side of it. Capture that. It's the negative side of it. When we hear the word complaining, we often think of it in negative light, right? We hear our children complaining and it's, we tell them, stop complaining or Or we we go to work and we hear someone complaining and it's usually tearing something down or someone down or some situation down. And we either have to walk away from it because it's too negative or we join in with them and it's it's a negative reaction. However, I, I want you to see that there is a faithful way to complain. Turn with me to Psalm 142. Psalm 142. So you've seen the faithless way to complain, the negative side of it, but I want you to see Psalm 142 here. And this is all extra, and then we'll jump back into Philippians 2. So Psalm 142, uh, we're going to read the whole psalm beginning in verse 1. David is writing this in 2 Samuel, he's in the cave of Adullam, and he's writing this cry to God, and so Psalm 142 captures this, this, this cry of help. In verse 1 he says this, I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. Now hold on, Paul just said do all things without grumbling or complaining and disputing, right? But David's saying, I, I laid my complaint before God. Now check this out, right? Negative complaining is saying, God, you're not ruling the universe the right way or the, or, or effectively. But David is putting his trust in the Lord as we read the rest of this psalm, he's, he's leaning upon the Lord. So check out uh, verse 3. He says, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. In the way where I walk, they've hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, for there's no one who regards me. There's no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Give heed to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring my soul out of prison, so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. I think this is so important for us to see as believers, because here's what happens. If we say that we can't give a faithful complaint, and I'll I'll give a definition of that here in a second. If we think of that, then here's what happens. In our prayer life with God, in our intimacy with God, we feel as if we can't express any kind of anguish over sin. We feel that everything just kind of needs to be normal and well and have a positive attitude. But Scripture teaches the opposite. Scripture teaches us to actually be able to cry out to God about the anguish and the trouble of living in this sinful, fallen world. And so if you want a uh, a definition of a faithful complaint, it's an honest expression of the inward groaning of dealing with sin. And that's what David's doing. He's crying out to the Lord. The word complaining, when you look at the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers, is the Hebrew word taluna. And it means negative. It means murmuring, grumbling, whining, fussing. But when you look at the Hebrew word in Psalm 142, it's a different word. It's the word siak, and it means to pray, to commune, to pour forth a thought to God. And it's what he says in verse 1, I cried out to the Lord, I gave my supplication. It's, a, it's an expression. It's not, he's not doubting the Lord in Psalm 142. He's crying out to the Lord for help, realizing that God is the only one who can help him. And so, when you look at the book of Psalm. There's a category, if, if you ever kind of get into the theological side of it, there's a category in the Psalms called the Lament Psalms. And it's where the psalmist is crying out to God for help. And when you look through the book of Psalms at the Lament Psalms, you'll see this, you'll see the writer cry out, over their sorrow, over their anger, over their fear, over their longing for the Lord, over confusion, over desolation, over repentance of their sins, over disappointment, over depression, because of evil and darkness and the wickedness of this world. It's what Paul highlights in Romans chapter 8. And you don't need to turn there, but you can write this down. Romans 8 verse 20 where he says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. We all know, that on this side of heaven, we will face hardship, we will face trial, trials, we will face great loss, we will face suffering. So how do we express that to the Lord? Well, not with faithless complaining, where it's just mumbling and groaning and complaining in a negative sense, but with faithful complaint, where we cry out to the Lord for help, where we cry out to the Lord recognizing He is the only one who can help. It's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4 in the Beatitudes, where he says, Blessed are those who mourn. What are we mourning? We're mourning sin. Sin in our lives, sin in the lives of our families, sin in the lives of our nation. Well, how do we express that mourning? By crying out to the Lord. By expressing it through the Lament Psalms. In that fashion, it gives voice to the expression of anguish and turmoil in our souls. So don't miss that. God loves An honest follower. And David, throughout the book of Psalms, is so honest with the the struggles he faces, with the joys he faces, and we're able to express that as well. But coming back to Philippians 2, that was all a side note. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And then in the next three verses, he lays out three reasons. Three reasons. Here's a question. Can Paul actually mean everything? Do all things without grumbling? Does that mean this past Monday when I pulled out my lawnmower at 7 o'clock, I have a push mower, it takes me about an hour and a half to mow. Does that mean when I pulled out my lawnmower at 7 o'clock and it was, what, 96 degrees yet? And within the first two minutes, I was just a ball of sweat walking across the grass. Does that mean I cannot grumble? Absolutely. Does it mean when you walk into your office Monday and you know that person who just seems to be so miserable and they just want to make everyone else miserable and they're trying to drag you into that, does that mean you cannot grumble? Absolutely. Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. You've heard it said many times from this pulpit in the past, all means all and that's all all means. Paul does not give an exception here. Do all things without grumbling or or disputing. And then here are the three reasons. Verse 15, the first reason is this, for our own sanctification, for our own growth in Christ. In verse 15, he says that you will prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent children of God above reproach. So that you will prove yourselves. In other words, that you will give evidence that you are children of God. So take your position as a child of God that that happened by grace through faith and put it into practice is what Paul's saying. It should be obvious to people around you that you are a child of God. They shouldn't have to ask. They shouldn't have to guess. It should be obvious. And if we're grumbling and disputing, that clouds the picture. People won't think that we're followers of Christ. Or if they do, as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, They're going to say, hold on, you said that gospel brings hope and peace and purpose, and yet your life is full of bitterness and misery and whining. How do these work? Well, Paul's saying, do all things without grumbling and disputing so that you can prove, so that you can give evidence that you are a child of God. These things don't make you a child of God. You are a child of God by grace through faith. But because you are a child of God, put it into practice. Children bear their bear." Excuse me, bear the characteristics of their fathers, don't they? Or their parents, I should say. It, it happens at least once a month, yet, around this church. As I'm walking with my son, people will say, Wow, he looks like you, right? Ian looks like dad. And for many years, well, for a long time, he didn't look like mom. And mom's like, I had a part in this. Um, and then we had a daughter, and she looks like mom and not dad. And, anyways, you get the idea. So children bear the characteristics of their parents. Um, Parenting, by the way, is a great way to become more holy, (laughs) because they also bear the negative characteristics, and I see the negative parts of my attitude and issues just magnified in my children, and I go, whoa, I want to pass a godly legacy down to them, and so it should help us to become more like Christ as, as a parent. But children bear the characteristics of their parents. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Because you are a child of God, give evidence to it. Give evidence to it. And he gives three descriptive words. Blameless is the first one. Blameless refers to integrity, to the outward observable behavior. It should should be apparent that you are a child of God. So who you say you are, you ought to live like. The word was used in Paul's day uh, by wine merchants or jewelers. And they would say, look, this wine that I'm selling you is actually what I'm saying it is. It's not wine diluted with water. It's actually what I'm saying it is. It's actual wine. It's not just dirty water. Or jewelers would use it if they had a chunk of silver. They would say it's actually solid silver. It's not a piece of metal covered in silver. it's, It's what I'm saying it is. It has integrity. Uh, Daniel is a great example of this. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel was in the political realm of Babylon and men were trying to find something to accuse him of so they could kick him out of his position. And they say this in verse 5. We shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Now Daniel was not perfect because perfection only belongs to God on this side of heaven. We all struggle. We all Uh, Falls short. No one is perfect on this side of heaven. But Daniel was blameless. He did not have a secret life at home or a secret life behind closed doors. Who he said he was, he actually was. Paul in turn then says you should be innocent. This defines our inward life, our thought life. Defines our thought life. It's easy. To put on a Christian face on Sunday, and yet be full of bitterness, be full of anger, be full of lust. Are we pure on the inside? Do we have inward integrity as well? Paul says this in Romans 16:19. He says, "You are to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Don't be mixed with it. Don't bring the world with you. We're to be in the world, but not of it. We're to be in the world, but not love it. And so we are to be blameless and innocent. And the last word he gives is above reproach, which in the Greek, above reproach means without defect or without blemish. It's the same word that when they took the Old Testament in the Hebrew and translated it to the Greek. they used it to refer to the sacrificial system, right? A lamb is supposed to be without defect or without blemish. I mean, Paul captures this same idea in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as what? A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. So that means, if our lives are etched or inscribed by a lot of grumbling and disputing. We're not giving God an acceptable offering. We're not living as who we claim to be, children of God. Why is this so vital? Because we are children of God if we've placed our trust in Christ. And Paul is saying, live it out. One author put it this way. He says, we have to recognize this in our lives. Who do you belong to? Whose are you? Who owns you? Whose name do you bear? Whose identity do you share? Whose life do you share? The very life of God. And so, we ought to live lives consistent with who He is. Peter provides great motivation in 2 Peter chapter 3. You can write this down. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. He writes this. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, and he's referring to the coming of Christ, since you look forward to the, to the return of Christ, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless. I'm so grateful that our God is a God of second chances. I mean, when, when I think about being blameless and innocent and above reproach, this is difficult. This is, this is hard. And we mess up. And I'm thankful that God says through John that if we confess our sins, He is just and faithful to cleanse us and forgive us from all unrighteousness. This is only possible through the blood of Christ, my friends. This is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit living in and through us. I read a a quote this morning, and it was 5.30, so forgive me if I can't repeat it word for word. But He was saying, if you think you've messed up so much, that you're too bad for God's second chances, remember, you didn't deserve the first chance. We don't deserve to be here. But it's by His grace and His mercy. And no matter what we do, it's not beyond His reach. And so this morning, maybe there's things in our lives that we need to clean up. And I thank God that we can confess them and be renewed. Secondly, he says... The reason we should do all things without grumbling or disputing is for the purity of our testimony. It's for the benefit of the unbeliever around us. Look at uh, the rest. We'll pick it back up in verse 15. He says "So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Did you did catch that? He says, you are in the midst of it. You're smack dab right in the middle of it. Paul is not saying, look, once you get saved, go into solitude. Once you get saved, join a monastery and don't talk to anyone. Once you get saved, just kind of huddle together with fellow believers and your family and don't interact with the world. That's not what Paul is saying. He says, you're in the midst of it and you're to shine forth as light, holding forth the word of life. He says you're in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. Crooked is the Greek word scolios, where we get scoliosis, which is the abnormal curvature of the spine. And the idea is scripture is the straight standard. And the world is bent away from from it. And perverse carries the idea that they want to be bent away from it. It's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 where he says they deny the truth. They don't want to walk to God. They want to walk away from God. And the end of uh, chapter 1 verse 32, it says how they not only do evil, but they approve of it. I don't need to take very long this morning. I could easily take the next five weeks probably and talk about the wickedness of our world. But we know it. You just turn on the news and you see... The wickedness and the sin and the evil, but Paul says you're in the midst of it to make an impact. In the midst of it to make an impact. You're in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation to shine forth as lights in this world. Your translation might say stars. Um, I shared in first service that you and I have a lot in common with the moon. We're we're a ball of dust that God has breathed to life. <laughs> Or a ball of dust that when in proper alignment with God, like the moon is with the sun, we should shine brightly. And we should shine the light of Christ. This world is lost and in darkness. And we're to be shining light for it. Now catch this. Light did not appear to curse the darkness. It came to dispel the darkness. I think too often, Churches across the world have been too busy maybe condemning the world, saying, I can't believe they're doing this again, or that they did that. That's not our role. God is the judge. Our role is to hold forth the gospel, to shine light, to say, here is the hope, here is the remedy, in in the midst of your darkness, here is the light. Here's the way out. The only way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? No one comes to the Father but through Him. So we are to shine greatly as lights. And, and this whole idea of holding forth the word of life is, if, if you would, maybe a simple illustration, is someone holding a plate of food and handing it to someone who's hungry, who's, who's reaching for it. Our world is looking for hope. Our world is looking for peace. And they're looking in all the wrong areas. But we have the right answer. Are we holding it forth? Are we offering it? When is the last time that we shared the gospel with someone When's the last time that we invested our lives into someone? When's the last time that we willingly sat beside someone that we know is unsafe so we can hear their story and possibly speak hope into it by saying, here's the real hero of the story. Are we about the great commission that God has given us? Are we shining his lights? Or are we putting a, a basket over our lampstand saying, I'll keep it for myself? Paul says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Because when we we grumble and complain and dispute, it clouds the witness of our testimony. We need to live lives that when people see us, they see light beaming forth. Thirdly, the last reason is this. We should do all things without grumbling or complaining, and I would simply say, for the benefit of the church leadership, and you, before you ask, is that really in Scripture? <laughs> let, me, let me read verse 16 for you. It says, "'Holding fast the word of life, So that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. This is not self-serving. This is not egotistical. This is not selfish. Paul is saying, look, I want to glorify Christ with my whole life. He said that in Philippians 1 where he said, look, if I die now, it's gain because I'm in the presence of of my Savior. But if I live, it's for the glory of Christ. I want to share, I want to preach, I want to, I want to hold forth the word of life so that you can grow and be equipped and make an impact in the community. Impact. That's what he's telling the church of Philippi. He wants to glorify Christ with all he has and he's looking forward, forward or, or, or towards, I should say, the day that he will stand before the Lord and give an account of his life. And, and he wants to hear that he did not run in vain. That his ministry to the church at Philippi was not clouded because of all their grumbling and disputing and disunity. He wants them to be able to stand before the Lord and throw crowns at the feet of Christ because they themselves have been obedient. And for Paul, that would be eternal joy. That he could glorify Christ all the more. It's not about Paul. He wants to see them be obedient so that his Savior can be glorified all the more. This is his pastoral heart-shining through this is his deepest desire for his brothers he, he captures this as well in Philippians 4 verse 1 where he says therefore my beloved brethren whom I long to see my joy and my crown he says this in 1st Thessalonians 2 he says for what is our hope our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes is it not you See, that crown is not a crown of ruling. It is a crown that an athlete would be given for for, for running the race well. Paul's whole desire was to, to hear at the end, well done, good and faithful servant. He wanted to know that he fought the good fight, that he kept the faith, that he finished the race. And at the same time, he wanted to hear that those that he ministered to did the same for the glory of Jesus Christ. To some, this might seem selfish from a leader. But Scripture teaches that those who teach us, especially our elders, will give an account before God. Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's sad to say, but I know of several men who graduated with me from Lancaster Bible College who have shared that on Monday morning, after a long week, they pull out a resignation letter from their drawer saying, is today the day? This past week was too difficult because their congregation is full of disunity, full of complaining and grumbling. And they say, God, is this really where you want me? Ministry can become a burden. And the challenge is, as leaders, we want to glorify the Lord. And my prayer and my hope for you is that you want to glorify the Lord. Like I said, it was amazing to be on the mission trip and watch students walk around sharing the gospel, being obedient, looking for opportunities to minister. And so I encourage you that you would in all things prove, give evidence to the world around us that you are a child of God so that you, your life would also be full of joy. John says this, I have no greater joy than this. This is in Third John, verse 4. I have no greater joy than this but to hear of my children walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. Being obedient. Loving Christ. Serving one another. Living in unity. My friends, to conclude here, one of the main themes of the book of Philippians is joy. It's mentioned 16 times. The opposite of joy is grumbling and disputing. What, Which one will mark your life, will mark my life? But my prayer and my hope is that when the world sees us, they'll see Christ shining forth because we are shining as bright as we can and holding forth the word of life. I pray that we'd be on mission as a church and that we would look for the opportunities to share the gospel. And by the way, that happens every day. Whether you're at Sunoco, (laughs) whether you're at Dalhern, wherever you might be, Walmart, look for the opportunities to be the light of this world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy that we find in Christ alone. Would you help our lives to be marked by your joy because everything in us wants to be obedient to you and lord i thank you that obedience does not come out of obligation obedience comes out of our love for you because we recognize as john says that you first loved us and so in turn we want to love you and as love wells up within us we we in turn are obedient because we want to honor you we want to exalt your name Jesus says, you will be known as my disciples by your obedience. So Father, would you help us to be obedient? Would you help us to submit to your will each and every moment? That is a difficult task. But God, I thank you that you provide strength. You provide encouragement and comfort even through your word and through one another. So Lord, would you capture our hearts this morning and help us to be on mission for you? As Pastor Doug has said so often, time is too short and hell is too hot. Lord, we need to be about sharing your good news in this community because there are many around us each and every day that unfortunately are headed to an eternity separated from you. So Lord, would we be bold? Would we be willing to be used by you to make an impact? Father, thank You for Your grace, for Your strength, for Your faithfulness. And Lord, I pray. I pray that our love for You would grow more. That today we would love You more than yesterday. And that we would love You more tomorrow. And Lord, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.